Would you take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4? This morning we'll be looking at the story of the temptation of Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you today, thank you for your word and thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you that in his victory and because of what he has done, we too can experience victory in our Christian life. Help us, Lord, to hear what you have to say to us today, to apply that truth to our life and to walk with you in victory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In Neil Anderson's book, The Bondage Breaker, he tells a story about a young man who came to see him one day who was discouraged in his Christian life. And he told Neil his story of how he still struggled with sin in areas of his life. And how he uh, knew the right thing that he should do, and yet so often he found himself doing the very thing he hated. He could not find victory, and he actually wondered if he was even a Christian at all because of his experience. Well, Neil took his Bible and read from Romans chapter 7 these words, that I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And Neil asked Dan, this young man, he said, is that how you feel? And he goes, exactly. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel in my Christian experience. And my question to you would be, have you ever felt that way as well? If you have, you're not alone. What Neil shared with Dan that day was that as he listened to his story and how he had come to know Christ, he said, I don't think the problem here is that you are not a Christian, but I think it's really that you've not understood how to live the Christian life. That Dan had been trying to do this in his own strength. He had been trying to overcome things in his life and his own power rather than relying upon Christ and the Holy Spirit. And as he began to do that, and understood how to live the Christian life, 
circumstances in his life began to change. You know, I would share that was my testimony too. Whereas a young student in college, I struggled with sin in my life and behaviors that were not pleasing to God. I had made a commitment to Him when I was 10 years old, and that was genuine. I had asked Christ to be my Savior and Lord, but I did not understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit or the importance of building my life on the Word of God. And when I began to practice those things and grow in my Christian life, my experience, my relationship with God changed and my spiritual growth began to take off. I think it's a common problem, and that's why I think that this passage is one of the most important ones that we can look at in Scripture. There is an answer to our struggle with sin. There is victory in Jesus Christ. And if we will look to Jesus and His example and put into practice in our experience the same things we see in Him, we will experience victory increasingly in our relationship with Him. Today we're going to look at the story of Jesus and the tempter and how He responded to Satan when He came to tempt Him. And in His victory, we'll see how we can have victory too. Number one, this passage teaches us that we must build our life on the Word of God. We must build our life on that foundation of the Word of God. After Jesus' baptism, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I think it's important that we catch that, that here Jesus, you know, who had just been baptized, immediately is led into the wilderness, and He was led there by God's direction, by the Holy Spirit. I mean, this wasn't an accident what was going to happen. This was purposeful. He was led there to be tempted. And that word tempt can also mean test. Uh, It's the same in Greek. It can mean either to tempt or to test. And what we know from Scripture is that God tempts no one to sin. But He does allow us to be tested. Testing reveals our character. Or testing can also develop our character. Uh, sometimes the illustration's been used that, you know, when you put pressure on, on a toothpaste tube, for example, what comes out is just what's on the inside. And when we are tested in our spiritual life and pressure is put on us or stress is put on us, what comes out is really just what's on the inside. And we need to see that. And there are things in our life that we need to deal with. The 40 days and 40 nights that Jesus was in the wilderness parallels Israel's 40 years in the wilderness. Both sons, both Israel and Jesus, both sons were tested by God's design to reveal their character and their obedience. In fact, when Israel was about to enter into the promised land, God told Moses to say these things to Israel. We read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, the Scripture says there, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these forty years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. There it is. I mean, God was testing them, putting the pressure on to know what was in their heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God took Israel through this time of testing, removing, you know, all their supports, all their crutches, if you will, all the things that they had leaned upon for self-reliance, and He took them all away so that they would have to rely on God alone for their daily bread. And He provided for them. He was testing them. And yet, in spite of all that, we see how often they disobeyed. My question to you is, does God do that today? Does He still test us? Does He still allow believers to go through circumstances to reveal our character, our hard attitudes? Yes, He does. I even think about that for America as a nation and the economic challenges that we are going through right now. We say on our currency, in God we trust, but do we really? I mean, do we really trust God to be our provision, our strength, our security? Or do we put our trust in other things? And could it be that God is allowing the foundations of our life to be shaken so that we will learn to rely upon Him? When we look at these temptations of Jesus, one of the questions that Christians sometimes ask is, could Jesus really be tempted since He is God? I mean, were there a real temptation to Him? Did He really feel these things? I mean, if He's God, couldn't He just kind of blow them off, you know, in that way? No. When Jesus entered into our world and became a man, He chose to lay aside the voluntary or independent use of His power. He did nothing in this life as a man that His Father did not direct Him to do. He said, the words I speak, you know, I speak nothing on my own initiative except what the Father tells me to speak. He did none of the miracles or the the different deeds that He did in this life except by the direction of the Father. He always did what the Father directed Him. And so, in His life as this representative of humanity, He lives the way that we should live. In the power of the Holy Spirit, in dependence upon the Father, looking to the Scripture for guidance. I mean, that's why He is our example. And so, in His deity, He could not be tempted. As God, He could not be tempted But in His humanity, the Scripture tells us that He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. In fact, because of His holiness and righteousness, He even felt these temptations more strongly. The slightest temptation would have been an offense to Him. Jesus, in His humanity, experienced what we experience. The Scripture tells us that He understands our weakness. He knows what it is like to suffer. He knows what it's like to be in this battle with our adversary. And isn't it interesting that the Scripture here says that it was after the 40 days and 40 nights when He was hungry that the tempter came to Him. It was after this time in the wilderness when He's at that point where He is most hungry. I mean, like a cunning serpent, Satan looks for an opportune time to strike. And he wants to hit Jesus when he feels like he is at his weakest. And he comes with this temptation. And he says to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. In Greek, there is this um, 
a kind of grammatical phrase where you use the word if, but it really means since. He's not doubting that Jesus is the, is the Son of God. He is really saying that since you are the Son of God, Satan knew who he was. He didn't doubt that. But he's saying to him, since you are the Son of God, surely you could provide for yourself something to eat. I mean, what would be the problem with that? Surely you could turn these stones into bread. I mean, later Jesus will feed the multitudes by His Word and His power. But He would not do that for Himself. This was a temptation to use His power in a way that was inconsistent with His mission. He would not use His power for self-centered ends. He would only do what the Father said, and He would rely upon the Father to provide His daily bread. And so Jesus' answer to Satan at this point is a quote from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, when He says that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Donald Carson has said, more necessary than bread for Jesus was obedience to God's Word. Think about that. Are you challenged by that? I am. That it was more necessary, more important to Jesus to do the word, to do the will of God than it was to be concerned about his next meal. And I think of how in our weakness, you know, what are the things we're concerned about? I mean, you know, it's lunchtime, we want something to eat. Uh, it's it's time when we're supposed to sit down at the meal you know, and we want something there and we want it now. And we're like that in so many areas of our life where we kind of want to snap our fingers and have things provided and have things there just when we want it. Jesus was more concerned about doing the will of God than He was about even eating. In John 4.34, Jesus said, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to accomplish His work. Do you hear in these verses how important the Scripture was to Jesus? You know, I think about that, and is it any wonder that in our world Satan has tried so hard to undermine the Scripture or to attack the Bible? I mean, even today when you hear uh, people that want to criticize Christianity and focus their attacks on the Scripture, they want to say it's full of errors, they want to say it's just the writing of men, that it's not uh, any, uh, you know, it's certainly not the Word of God and it has no power or authority over us. They will try to do everything that they can to attack and undermine the Scripture. And yet here is Jesus, the Son of God. And what does He say about the Scripture? He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will never pass away. His Word is eternal. His Word is powerful. I mean, God just simply spoke the Word in creation. And the worlds came into being. He would say, let there be light, and there was light. He spoke, and it was. And He created out of nothing by His Word. It's by His Word that He brings conviction to our heart. His Word is living and active. It's powerful. It pierces to the division of bone and marrow, of soul and spirit. 
It's by that Word of God that we are born again. His Word is truth. It sanctifies us. His Word is life. When others were leaving Jesus, when He spoke the hard words of truth, and His disciples were wrestling with that, Jesus said, Would you also leave me? And they said, Where would we go? You have the words of life. Words of truth. And it is that Word that gives us victory. But we need to know how to use it. You know, when we've traveled as a family, one of the things that happens when you have three boys in a family is that they kind of are fascinated with sharp, pointy objects. Uh, we would travel at times to see, you know, battlefields like Gettysburg, or we'd uh, visit other places around the country. And, uh, you know, even when I've gone overseas, they've asked, can you bring back kind of a sharp, pointy object from another part of the world, whether it's a sword or spear or knife or something like that. Uh, and it's not that they are, uh, you know, into the military. It's just they have this fascination with that. But what I think about in so many places in the world, you'll see in rusty, you'll see these rusty swords in cases that are historic, that are museums, but they're just kind of there on display. They're not used. They're of no good to help someone. And I think of that in terms of the scripture when it is called the sword of the spirit. A sword is of no help to defend you unless you know how to use it. And unless you keep that sword sharp, if you will, ready for action. It is the same with the Scripture. That unless we know the Word and know how to use it, we will not be able to fight our enemy like Jesus did here. His Word is powerful. It can defeat the enemy. But again, we, know, we need to know how to handle that sword. We must build our life on the Word of God. And secondly, we must trust God in every situation. We see in verses 5 to 7 the second temptation that Jesus experienced. And in the second temptation, it is set in Jerusalem, and Jesus is standing on the highest point of the temple complex. Some picture it as on the temple itself. Some think that perhaps it was on the southeastern corner of the temple overlooking the Kidron Valley. Josephus tells us how high this wall was. Herod, when he had built the temple complex, had wanted it to be a level platform area. And so there was this great retaining wall that was built on the eastern side above the Kidron Valley. In the southeast corner of the Temple Mount stood some 450 feet over the Kidron Valley below. You can imagine standing there on the edge what that would be like. For comparison, if you've ever been up on the North Shore at Palisade Head, that's about 300 feet above Lake Superior. And so you can imagine half again as much. This is a temptation to doubt God's Word and His care. It's a temptation that involves putting God to the test. Has Satan ever tempted you to doubt God's concern or the truth of His Word? I would guess that He has for all of us. In times of illness, in times when we are going through unemployment, waiting on God for His provision, in times when we've had to deal with physical disabilities, a pain or sorrow, the loss of a loved one, 
All of those can be times when Satan comes and he may tempt you to say, does God care? Or does His Word make any difference? Do my prayers make any difference at all? And on this occasion, Satan even came and he used Scripture. Satan knows Scripture too and he used it. But he twists it. He uses it in a way that is not appropriate. Here he quotes from Psalm 91. And he says that in the Scripture it says, He will command His angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Surely if you were to throw yourself off of this temple mound, God would send His angels and they would catch you and you would not be hurt at all. Why don't you do that, Jesus? Why don't you call attention to yourself? But Jesus also shows us how to read Scripture. We interpret Scripture by Scripture. And Jesus says, it is also written that you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The Scripture forbids putting God to the test. You know, we can't take a verse like this and say, oh, I guess this means, you know, that if I wanted to, I could just step off of the sidewalk into the middle of the highway and if a semi was coming, God's going to rescue me. No, that would be a foolish thing to do, wouldn't it? We can't manipulate God into doing what we want Him to do. We can't presume upon God's power that He's going to save us in some dramatic way when it is simply foolishness on our part. Israel, in their wilderness experience, grumbled and complained against God at many different points all along the way. In fact, the Scripture will say ten times they put God to the test. Jesus' response here to the Scripture shows us how we should live too. That the right response on our part is trust and obedience. It is to trust God in the midst of our trials. It's to obey Him, to follow and to take the next step, whatever that may be, and to trust that He is going to be our provider. He will give us our daily bread. To trust Him to give us the strength that we need to deal with our trials that we are going through. To rely upon Him. I love the story in Daniel 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they refused to bow down to this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And Nebuchadnezzar was so angry that he threatened to throw them into the fiery furnace unless they would bow down and worship this image of gold. And in their reply they said to him that the God we serve is able to save us and He will rescue us from your hand. But even if He does not, we will not worship or serve any other gods. These three men believed that God was powerful enough to save them. And they believed that He would. But even if He did not, if in God's plan it was better for them to die as a witness for, for Christ, then He would be there with them, even in their death. And they simply put their faith, their trust in God and were obedient to what He asked. And God miraculously spared them. God asks us to trust Him too. 
in the trials of our life, the difficulties that we are going through, to trust and obey. And thirdly, we see in the example of Jesus that we must worship God only. We must worship God only in verses 8 to 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So we read that this third temptation takes place on a high mountain in the wilderness. And most likely it is in a vision that Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Their splendor, their power, their glory, their wealth. And Satan says, I will give these to you if you will bow down and worship me. Satan knew what God intended for Jesus, that as a son of God, he would one day rule over the nations. And he offered to Jesus a shortcut, a shortcut, a way to avoid the suffering and the cross, a way to avoid the path that was laid out for him. Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. So sweet sounding in his temptation. It was a temptation to achieve power by worship of God's rival. And Jesus once again quotes the Scripture and He goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6, this time verse 13, where the Scripture says, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. The word worship here means literally to bow the knee. And Jesus is our human representative. As the perfect man, He would not bow the knee to any other God. He would not do what Israel did when they were tempted in the wilderness and they worshipped the golden calf. And so quickly they turned away from the God of the Exodus, the God who had delivered them by His mighty power, and they became impatient. And they turned aside to pagan gods. What the Bible tells us is that there is no shortcut to glory. There was no easy way for Jesus to do this. And there are no shortcuts for us to spiritual maturity. There's not something that can be kind of a quick fix that will get us farther along in our Christian life. There's only the way of the cross. And it is why believers in every generation have practiced these spiritual disciplines of prayer and Bible study and fasting and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit because there is no other way to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. There's only the way of the cross. And so Jesus comes to us and He says, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? You know, recently our world saw um, Steve Jobs, who passed away, And they heard the words that he shared in a commencement address. And he said some very encouraging things to people to follow their dreams and to realize that in one sense there's nothing you can't aspire to or do. 
And he had a pretty incredible life as someone who really came up with inventions that changed our world. I mean, when you think about how many people use an iPad or an iPhone or, a, uh, you know, an iPod or all of the different inventions that Apple came up with and he was a part of, it was pretty amazing. But I also remember hearing him say that he was into Zen Buddhism. He did not know Christ as Savior and Lord. And when he died, I thought of these verses of Scripture. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits his very self? I mean, you could be the next Steve Jobs with great ideas and innovations, one after another. Or you could be a great athlete and hit a home run after a home run. You could be a billionaire businessman or woman and have everything that you wanted in this world. But if you don't know Christ, you have nothing. And you will lose your life at the end. People are looking for shortcuts to success. They're looking for fame. They're looking for material gain. And they want quick fixes. I mean, they want miracle cures. They want instant winnings. It's why so many people play the lottery hoping that they're going to have that that big winning, that thing that's going to make a difference in their life. And Satan comes to us as he, as he does here with Jesus and he tempts us to take our eyes off of God and to put them on other things. You know, and when I look at Satan's temptations, and in particular the first one too, so often it's not bad things that he tempts us with. You know, there was nothing wrong for Jesus who was hungry to satisfy that hunger with bread. But he tempts us to do that in a way that is inappropriate. Rather than relying upon God to serve ourself or to think that somehow we can be our own God, our own provider. Satan tempts us with legitimate things, but he tempts us to fulfill them in an illegitimate way. What do we need to do? We need to keep our eyes on the Lord and worship Him only. How did Jesus deal with temptation? Well, He used the Scripture time and time again. He walked in the power of the Holy Spirit. He relied upon the strength that God gave him as a man. And so must we. And to use the Scripture, we need to know how to handle it well, and that means we need to read it and study it and memorize it and meditate on it and hold on to it in our life. The three verses that Jesus quotes here are all from Deuteronomy chapter 6 to 8. And that's significant. Again, it, it shows how Jesus was reading the Old Testament Scriptures. The book of Deuteronomy is called that. It's the second giving of the law as a new generation of Israelites were about to enter into the promised land. What Moses does is he sets out this contract, if you will, with God. It's an agreement that they are about to make. And as a part of that agreement in chapter 6 to 8, he rehearses the history of Israel in those 40 years of wandering. How time and time again they put God to the test. And how they failed to do what God had asked them to do. And now Jesus, as the perfect Son of God, as our representative, triumphs where they fail. 
And he quotes from this passage of Scripture three times to express God's will for our life as well. Where Israel grumbled and complained, Jesus obeyed. Where Israel did not trust God, Jesus submitted his life to the Father and trusted him. And where Israel doubted God and they bowed down to false gods, Jesus called us to worship God only. He would listen to his Father. Jesus is our example. He shows us how we are to live in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13 that no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There was a young girl who was looking at that verse one day and she was thinking about her own experience in her Christian life and she made this observation. She said, you know, if I really believed that verse, my life would never be the same. That's true. If I really believed that verse, that there is no temptation that has come into my life except what is common. You know, I'm not unique. The things that you and I experience, others have experienced. And God's not going to allow us to be tempted more than we can bear. If we feel those temptations that we are wrestling with are pretty strong, take that as an encouragement too. That God has confidence in you if you will rely upon Him. If you will listen to His Word and obey, if you will walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you don't have to give in to sin. You can say no and you can experience His victory in your life. Because every time you're tempted, there is a way out. There's a way of escape that you can stand up under it. James Boyce said of this passage when he looked at what Jesus Christ experienced, he said, you know, we experience the same battle. We have a foe who wants to tempt us to sin as well. And we have the same choice. We can either listen to our enemy or we can listen to God. And we can have the same victory. That when we walk with Jesus, we walk in His victory. Let's pray. Father, as we bow before You this morning, I know that for all of us, there are probably things that immediately come to mind where we struggle with sin. It may be in a recurring area. It may be with a habit. It may be with an attitude. It may be an unforgiveness in our heart. It might be bitterness. It might be envy or jealousy or lust. It might be greed. It might be pride. Lord, You know what it is. And Father, today, we bring that to You. And we say, Jesus, would You forgive me? And would You cleanse my heart and fill me with Your Holy Spirit? Would You help me, Lord, to grow in the knowledge of Your Word and to be able to handle it well like a sword that's ready for battle? And Father, would You help us to grow in our trust in You that even when we can't see the way ahead or maybe we're going through stuff right now that's just, it's hard, it's hard and we're taking it one step at a time. Lord, would You help us to hear Your voice 
and to know that you will lead us in our journey. Help us to put our trust in you. Amen.